to your feet with your Bibles in your hand and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Today we're going to look at verse 12 through 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 through 20. It is always a blessing and a joy to be with the people of God, uh, to hear the singing of God's people, and to be encouraged by the Word of God. Missed you all last week, but we praise God for uh, Minister Jared, soon to be Pastor Jared, amen, uh, for doing such a wonderful job in preaching about a community, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to look at verses 12 through 20. What you hold in your hand is not some self-help book, um, it is the Word of God. It has authority. It's written by man, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God reads, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with them. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this morning, for this opportunity to worship you. We pray, Father God, that we will be able to do that in spirit and in truth. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who is our song, who is our redeemer, who is our strength, who is the reason that we gather here. We thank you, Father God, for the peace that we have in him. We thank you, Father God, for the encouragement that is found in your son. We thank you, Father God, for the power that he gives us to overcome our sins, our weaknesses, our insecurities, Father. We thank you that through him, Lord, there is love, power, and a sound mind, that we don't have to fear tomorrow that we don't have to fear things that are on our minds today, but that we can give those things over to you, that we can worship you and find peace, Father God. We come this morning, Lord, to celebrate you, for you are great and greatly to be praised. There is no one like you, O oh God. So we command our souls to bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Speak, Lord. Speak to your children, Lord. We desperately need to hear your voice, Lord. Lead us besides green pastors, O oh God. Renewing us the right mind, O oh Father. Transform us from the inside out, Father. Strip religion away and give us relationship, O oh God. Commune with us, O oh Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe may be seated. 
Growing up, did you receive a sex educational talk from your parents? Did your guardian or parent ever sit you down and say, we need to talk about sex? Most of us have never really had a good, healthy conversation about why God created us the way that he did. Why has he given us the desires that we have sexually? Why do we have the levels of testosterone, the levels of of estrogen, estrogen that we have? And for some of us, the sex talk that we did have was a very moralistic talk, meaning that it was simply don't do this and don't do that. Don't have sex before you're married because if you bring a child in this house, I'm going to skin you alive. Or don't have sex before you're married because you can uh, harm yourself and and come up with an STD. And those conversations and and that talk really didn't help us. It it may have put the fear, fear in us for a short time, but for many of us, it wasn't a deep enough reason to help us to remain pure. Well, in today's text, we're going to look at and we're going to receive a sex talk from God. We're going to receive a a sex talk that, Lord willing, is going to push us to purity and help us to see why God created us the way he did and how we can be victorious in the area of our sexuality. We are going to look at three keys to sexual purity. The church at Corinth was struggling with their sexuality. And they were confused in many ways. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that there was one among them who was pretty much having incest in an inappropriate relationship with his stepmother. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that they were struggling with homosexuality, that they were struggling with adultery, which is sex outside of the marriage covenant once one is married, that they were struggling with fornication, sex outside of, of marriage, They were confused sexually. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we learned that they were so confused sexually that many of them had had excused their behavior to the point that the men were often going up to a, a temple and having sexual intercourse with prostitutes. And they saw this act as an act that was honoring to God. And they didn't see anything wrong with it. They didn't see anything wrong with it. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul begins to have a sex talk with them. And it's not a talk that beats them up, and it's not a talk that that leaves them helpless and hopeless. It's not a talk that leaves them condemned, but it's a talk that actually leaves them, if they listen, would, would leave them freed, would leave them with a bigger vision for their bodies and a bigger vision of God. In fact... In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, the last six words of this section gives us his whole main point. We want to look at that so we can know what is Paul's main point from the very beginning. He says, so glorify God in your body. That's his main point. His main point for giving them this sex talk is that they would bring glory to God Bring honor to God with their bodies. 
Statistics show that those who say that they're born-again believers, when surveyed, are not uh, much victorious than those who are not Christians in the area of sex. Um, those who say that they're born-again believers are, are struggling with sexual purity in the same way many times that those who are not born-again believers. The statistics aren't too far apart. And one of the ways that God wants to receive glory from his church is that as his people, as his church, that we would have victory in the area of our sexuality in order that the world would be able to look at us and say, what's different about them? And as they look at us to see what's different about us, they'll see that we're weak and we're sinners in, in many ways just like them. But through the power of God, we are able to experience victory in that area. Victory in that area. So Paul is going to give us three keys to sexual purity. And while I was going through this passage and, and working through it this week, my son just kept coming to mind. And I began to look at this passage from a lens that says, when it's time for me to have a sex talk with my son, and you know I have two daughters, I'm saying son intentionally, because I'm going to leave the girls up to, to Amber, all right? I might just walk in the room with a shotgun or something and walk out while she's talking to him. But I was thinking the whole time, what does God's word have to say about sexual purity and how, how am I going to talk to Josiah about it in a way that is not going to leave him uh, discouraged and hopeless or even scared, but in a way that's going to leave him wanting to worship God and present his body to the Lord as a living sacrifice. So I basically broke this section down to three simple words that I want you to remember as we talk about sexual purity. Three simple words. The first is mindset. Mindset. Parents, as you are talking to your children about sexual purity, I want you to be able to first focus on mindset. 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 The second is going to be footsteps, footsteps. And the third is going to be ownership, ownership. Mindset, footsteps, and ownership. Can you say that with me? Mindset, footsteps, ownership. Say it one more time. Mindset, footsteps, ownership, ownership. This is such a huge area. And that's why the Paul, Apostle Paul put so much emphasis on, on sexuality. And for us to have victory and to, to walk closely with the Lord, this is an area that we need to be clear in. And this is an area that we need the Lord to help us in. Um, as Christians, we are just as confused many times with our sexuality as people in the world. And we need to be able to come to the church and to hear what Jesus has to say about sex. And to, and to be able to do so in a comfortable way. So the first thing we want to look at today is mindset, mindset, mindset. The Apostle Paul begins to address the church at Corinth by addressing their mindset about sex. They had come to a place where they were able to rationalize their sin and excuse their sexual sin because they had the wrong worldview or perspective of it. And as the church, and as a Christian, you will not have victory in the area of sexuality 
if you do not have a biblical mindset about sex, many times we fall sexually and we struggle with sexual sins because we don't have the right mindset. And we find ourselves excusing our sexual behavior. And we have little slogans and little things that we say to ourselves in order to free ourselves to live any way we want sexually. We say things and make excuses like this. We, we, we see our sexuality many times as uh, sex being two human beings, two Christians, or two people just coming together and simply rubbing their bodies together. It's not a big deal. As long as the two people love each other and care for each other, there's nothing wrong with it. And we have a mindset that says that it is simply an expression of love. And some of us have a mindset that says, well, it is okay for me to be in a sexual relationship with my boyfriend or my girlfriend because God made us as sexual beings. And he knows our hearts. And this is just one area that we are going to have, that we are going to give ourselves into until maybe one day we're married. Or maybe if you're a guy, your mindset is, man, I've got all this stuff going on in me, and if I don't uh, have an outlet for it, I'll go crazy. It's our mindset. We have found ways to excuse our sexual sin and our, 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 our behavior. Some of us, we, we have a mindset that says, my boyfriend has needs. And if I don't satisfy him sexually, he's going to leave me for someone else. So we rationalize why we do what we do. And we fail to see that it's not okay with God. So Paul climbs into the minds of the Corinthians And he begins to say their slogans back to them, what they believe about sex back to them, and then give them a godly picture of sexuality. So that's what we see happening in verse 12 and 13. The Apostle Paul uses two slogans that were common slogans amongst Christians that they constantly used in order to okay their behavior. The first slogan that they would say is, all things are lawful. All things are lawful. And basically what they were saying by lawful, they they were saying as Christians, we are no longer under the law. Christ has freed us by grace. He's died for us and our sins is paid for, so we're free to express ourselves. And Apostle Paul takes that slogan, takes their mindset, and he says two things. He says, all things are lawful, verse 12. But first he says, not everything is helpful. He says, though we are free from the penalty of sin, everything we do is not helping us to grow and look like Jesus. So how does that look today? Today that may look like two uh, individuals who are dating, seeking to maybe stay sexually pure, but trying to constantly figure out where the line is. Right. They, they, they're saying, OK, we're Christians. We're not going to have a uh, 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 full blown out sex, but we uh, we, we are going to do other things. 
and we're going to try to just not cross this line. And Paul says, while what you are speaking of may not necessarily be a sin, the question that you want to ask yourself is, is it helpful? Is it helpful? Is it helping us to look like Jesus? Is it making us more passionate about our Savior? Is it helping the church be pure? Is it showing off God and the power that he gives us? He says, yes, some things may be permissible, but not all things are helpful. And then he goes off and says, and I will not be enslaved by anything. I will not be enslaved by anything. So he takes that mindset that they have and he says, all things are lawful for me, but not everything is helpful and we should not be enslaved by anything. If anything is going to make us a slave, if we're going to be addicted to anything, if at the end of the day we can say, I can't live without this, Paul says you need to live without that. Because Christ came to give us freedom so that we would not be in bondage like the world. The second slogan that they were saying was this, verse number 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. So they were, they had a little analogy, they said. Food is made for the stomach and the stomach is made for food. And then they went on to say, and God's going to destroy them both. In other words, what they were saying is, is we were made for sex. We were made to, to, to receive sexual pleasure. Look at our bodies. Look at the stuff that God has given us. And they were saying, and by the way, Paul, our bodies aren't going to do anything but die anyway. God's just going to destroy our bodies. So what we do with our body, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. So basically, at the end of the day, what they were saying was sex is not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not that big of a deal. And maybe that's what some of us think. What I do with my body is not that big of a deal. God cares about other things way more than he cares about who I'm sleeping with, what I'm watching on my computer, and what I do in the dark. They were minimizing what sex was created for. Look at how the Apostle Paul responds. Verse 13. He says, yeah, but the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Our bodies were created, we are created as sexual beings. God has given us the makeup for that. But that's not the primary reason. That's not the primary reason that God has given you your body. The Apostle Paul says the body was not given and is not made for sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? It is any sexual behavior outside of the covenant of marriage. God created you the way that he created you, but he did not create you to enjoy sexual pleasure outside of being married. He created you, he says, Your body was created for the Lord. The primary reason you are a human being is that you would worship God with your body. That as a Christian, that you would surrender your body back to the Lord and allow him to control your desires. Many men 
and Christian men, we struggle with sexuality so much. And statistics show with pornography and even with uh, uh, fornication, sex outside of marriage and sleeping around with, with other women. Because we are not taking, allowing our sexuality to be used in one way that God has given it. And that is God has made us sexual beings with these, these desires in order to push us and to encourage us towards marriage. Towards marriage. And many of us, we struggle with sexual sins, and we have just given into it and, and begin to rationalize our sin because we are not actively pursuing marriage. And we are being satisfied with pixels on a computer. And some of us, we just have the wrong perspective of women, and we see them as a conquest to be conquered, rather than a sister to be encouraged. Paul told Timothy, you treat the younger women, women your age, you treat them as sisters and older women as mothers. You have a high esteem. You see that they are created in the image of God for a purpose. But many of us are struggling with sexuality because we are passive and not manning up and pursuing marriage. And you say, well, I'm just a man. This is just how I am. And until I find the right one, this is just what I do. And Paul says, you were not made for sexual sin. You were not made for sexual sin. You are more than neurons and testosterone. Verse 14, Paul says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So Paul wants to now show them a, a different picture. He's in their mind. We're still on mindset. He's, he's showing them that what you thought about sex was wrong. And this is what you need to think about sex and what you need to think about your body. He says, your body isn't simply just going to be destroyed one day. One day your body is going to be raised and it's going to be with Jesus. In other words, your body matters. It matters now. But second, and this is the big point, this is the point that we want to look at in order to crush all of our excuses, all of our slogans, all of our rationalizations about why we get to sin sexually as Christians. He says that the main reason that Paul grounds in his text for sexual purity is found in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. So what is Paul saying? He points to our union with Christ. When a person becomes a Christian, we no longer have an uh, individualistic identity. We are no longer just who we are without accountability. The moment you say, Jesus, I accept you as Lord, you become a part of the body of Christ. Your body now 
belongs or is a part of a greater body. And what we do with our body affects the rest of the body. What an individual in a church does with their body affects whether or not the spirit is going to be at work in a genuine way as a church. It affects whether or not God is really going to bless that church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about sexual sin once again because they were a sexually confused culture just like we are. And he reminds them that back in the law, back when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, that God killed 23,000 people because they were in sexual sin. In the wilderness, smote them, he killed them. And the reason when you read that passage that he did that was to send a signal to Israel that says, you are now a part of my people and my body, in essence. Union with Christ. You are not only a part of the body of Christ, but now you are united to Christ himself. I am united to Christ myself. What does that mean? Look at this implication. Look at your Bibles. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Then he says, never. Since I am a member of Jesus in a spiritual, uh, pseudo-mystical way, since I am a part of Jesus, when if I go, he says, and lay with a prostitute, I involuntarily, Make Jesus a part of that act. Jesus involuntarily is a part of that action. He becomes an involuntary participant in my sin. When a Christian man sleeps with another woman, we drag Jesus into our sin. It's the same way as a pregnant mother who drinks alcohol that child becomes an involuntary participant in that action because they are a part of that mother. Or when a mother drinks, uh, takes drugs, that child is an involuntary participant of those drugs that was taken, of that action. In the same way, when we sin sexually, Jesus becomes an involuntary participant in our sin because we are united to him. And that's a term that Tony Evans used, involuntary participant. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus then becomes sinful, no more than a, a sunbeam that it shines on a garbage can becomes dirty, right? He is sinless but he is now driven into that action. We dirty Jesus when we as God's people sexually sin. That's what Paul is saying. And he grounds his argument in that, not in the fact that you may have a a child or the fact that something bad may happen to you before you want it to happen. He says, no, you are a part of Jesus. And he grounds it. Look at this language he says. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. 
The Good News Bible translated, it translates this, and he says, that's impossible. New King James uh, Version, again, uh, uses strong language. This is the strongest way that a person can say no in Greek. He's saying, no, we should not do that. We should not be a part of it. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. So a lot of times in our culture we say, you know, it's just sex, it's casual. Paul says there's no such thing as casual sex. He said there's no such thing. He says when two people unite in that way, there is something deep going on. They are being affected by it. And he points back to Genesis 2.24. He says, the two are becoming one flesh. Verse 17. But he who was joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So this is his mindset. He's saying, now, the person who is joined to the Lord, who is walking closely with him, who is keeping their bodies pure, through the, whole, the power of the Holy Spirit, they are then enjoying an intimacy with the Lord. They are enjoying oneness with him. See, the issue of sexual sin in our mindset is this. When we as Christians commit sexual sin, whether that be through pornography, whether that be through sleeping with someone who's not our husband or our wife, or having sex outside of marriage, When we do those things, we are affecting, we are being affected. And we are, we are taking something that God created to be experienced in marriage and trivializing it. God created sex to be the marriage act. And when we do it outside of marriage, it brings pain. Young lady, I really want you to change your mindset. If you are in a relationship here with a young man and you are sexually active with them, I want you to understand that you are cheating yourself from two things. Number one, from being able to experience the presence of the Lord in a deep way. You are choosing intimacy with that person over intimacy with God. It's impossible to walk in darkness, and to enjoy the light at the same time. So you go to the Word, you say, I'm not getting anything. You come to church and you hear preaching, and unless it's very man-centered and and all about how good you are, you're unsatisfied. And if you're living in sexual sin, it is because you are choosing the presence of that person over the presence of God, and you can't have both. You are created by God for a purpose. You are a jewel. You have been knit together. God, God Psalm 139, he, he didn't make a mistake when he made you. You are a prize. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. If that young man does not love you enough to go into covenant with you, he is only loving you out of convenience. It is a self-centered love. A love that is not going to heal you, but rather a love that is going to break you down. God created you, and he has made you precious, and you should hold on to that. 
And if he is not willing to put a ring on it, uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. Then you should not lie in bed with them. You are valuable. You are valuable. I don't care who's told you what. You are valuable. You are created in the image of God. And don't let anyone use you and try to get in your head to sleep with you without making a covenant with you. Jesus is enough. Jesus can satisfy you. He can keep you. And he can divinely orchestrate your life in a way that that you are fulfilled. And he can bring that right man in at the right time to free you. And if he doesn't, he's still enough. You are not encouraging him to marry you if you are allowing him or joining him in sexual sin. It's not encouraging him. But they say, why have the the cow, if you can get the milk for free? Right? Let's be real. And, and for those of you who think I'm being too frank or we're just dealing with this, I'm just preaching the Bible. And I guarantee you that if you're naive, that you don't know how much your seven-year-old knows. And you should rather your pastor or your husband talk to your child about sex than a seven-year-old who's going to tell them the wrong thing. So we've got to change our mindset. Young man, you have to understand that God created you with a purpose and he can fill you and and give you a passion for life that allows you to contribute to society and contribute to a church in a way that's going to make a difference for years. Don't settle for being a playboy. That's lame. That's wet. Don't settle from going from girl to girl, woman to woman. You will be dissatisfied. Change your mindset and see that God has created your body and saved you in order that you can be in union with Christ. And surrender your life to the Lord. And make a difference. First is mindset. Second is footsteps. Footsteps. We've got to counter the lies that we believe about sex and sexuality with the truth. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to watch our footsteps. Look at what Paul says. Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. It's footsteps. So he's in the middle of talking to them. He talks to them about union with Christ, and he says, run. So how do you you defeat and overcome sexual sin? It's by changing your mindset and aligning it with God's word, number one. And number two, it's by avoiding it. Radically avoiding situations that can cause you to sin. Which shows us that sexual temptation is a powerful temptation. 
And we can easily be trapped and easily fall into it. So he doesn't give them a discourse and, and, and just say, hey, you just kind of manage it or, or moderately deal with it. He says, no, you run. You get out of there. And you get out of there quickly. Why? Because sexual sin leads to death. Proverbs chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs chapter 7 all say that the, the, the man or the person who, who commits sexual sin and who is living a sexual promiscuous life, who is enjoying the benefits of sex without covenant marriage, you are leading yourself to a road of corruption and death. Like a bird is caught in a trap, the writer of Proverbs said, he says, my son, if you continue the way that you're going, if you follow the harlot, you will be caught in a trap. And so many of us are caught in that trap, and we are headed towards destruction. Right in the Proverbs calls it, uh, refers to sexual immorality as fire. As fire. Fire is a good thing when it is in a fireplace. Fire is a bad thing when it is spreading in your living room. Sex is meant for marriage, and it is a beautiful thing in marriage. It is a great expression of two people's commitment to each other. Some say that sex is the superglue of marriage. God gave us these desires, and he allows us, some of us, to, to experience marriage in order that we can express ourselves in that way. God loves sex a whole book in the Bible about it, the Songs of Solomon. He's not in heaven closing his eyes. It's a beautiful thing when done the right way, glorifies him. But when it's done the wrong way, it brings destruction. And Paul says, flee. He says the same thing to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, he says, Timothy, flee from youthful lust. And he says, pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. So what is he saying? He's saying you flee from sexual temptation and you pursue Jesus. If you're single, you flee from sexual sin by becoming intensely enormed with Jesus. You get on your hands and your knees and you pray and you beg him. You say, become more glorious to me. Become more beautiful to me. Help me to believe that you are who you say you are. Allow me to experience your resurrection power. Put people in my life that is going to help me to pursue you more. And you fight sin. Because as one Puritan said, if you're not killing sin, sin will be killing you. Sin is not neutral. It is negative. It will take and rob your soul. And it will lead you with a, a trail of, I shouldn't have. And many of us know that feeling. We know that feeling, don't we? So what does fleeing look like in a practical way? For those of you who are dating and you, you genuinely love your boyfriend or your girlfriend, fleeing looks like using wisdom when you hang out with them. You know, an alcoholic who says that they're trying to overcome alcoholism but who goes to happy hour and sits at the bar is a fool. 
And so is a person who says that they are desiring, desiring to walk closely with the Lord and desiring sexual purity, who finds themselves over their boyfriend or their girlfriend's house at 11 o'clock at night with R. Kelly playing with a red box movie in their hand, snuggled up on a couch. This is not wise. I don't see nothing wrong, right? That's an R. Kelly song. That's not helpful. It says run. Now remember, we cannot be intimate with Jesus and walking in habitual sin at the same time. You've got to choose. Who, who, who would you rather be united to? Who would you rather have influencing your life the most? Jesus or this person? That person will fail you. He will grow old. You will fight him or her. But Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you, and he will please you and allow you to become content. So you have to be careful. You have to set standards, set up things in your life that will not allow you to fall sexually in that way. So, you know, for me, before Amber and I started dating, uh, right around the time, it was a little before really we, we even started initiating courting, I knew me, and I had to set some strong lines up while I was in college to keep from falling into sexual sin. And one day, it was the first time I spent some time with, with Amber. We had some other friends coming over. We were at her place, and they weren't there yet, right? And Amber just kind of casually, she's not thinking anything. She wasn't even thinking about me at the time, but she just kind of casually closed her dorm door behind her. And I just got up and I shouted, please open the door, right? (laughs) Because I I did not want to put myself in a situation where I could compromise my relationship with Jesus and vice versa. The same way with Lady Amber. I thought, I thought she was crazy for a while. When we first started dating, man, she would not talk to me after like 10 o'clock. And I was working, um, you know, multiple jobs. Sometimes the only time we could talk at night. But she had set a standard. Nothing good is going to come out of this conversation when we're both laying down on a pillow and tired. So you called me in the morning or called me during your break. You've got to acknowledge your weakness, acknowledge your sinfulness. If you all are dating, you like each other, you may even love each other, it's only natural that you want to express that in particular ways. But you've got to flee, fight, and see Jesus as a greater treasure. And to see that one day if that person Uh, marries you, that you will be able to enjoy them in a very intimate way that you were not able to enjoy them before. And the longer, Joshua Harris says, the longer your this is not new list is before you get married, the less enjoyment you will have discovering that person. Flee, run, get out of there, pursue righteousness, You can't do it in a moderate way. You have to be radical with it. Jesus, when he talks about sexual sin, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, take it out. 
If your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off. What is he saying? He's saying, do everything you can to be holy. And we don't do it in our own strength. We do it under the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit because we love Jesus and we believe that Jesus satisfies. There's a scene in a movie called Fireproof where a husband's relationship with his wife is sinking fast. And part of the reason that their marriage is on the rocks is because he's addicted to pornography. But he falls in love with Jesus. And he begins to see Jesus as a treasure. He begins to see Jesus as great. And he knows that he can't continue to live the way that he's living and have intimacy with Jesus. So one day, out of anger, he picks up his... his, his his computer, he takes it to the front of his lawn, he throws it down, he gets a bat, and he beats it. Because he wants Jesus more. If you want Jesus, if you want to experience his presence, if you want to be on fire for him, if you want to live a life that matters for him, you have to get radical against sin, and you have to flee, and you have to fight. And that means protecting yourself by putting measures in place. Remember a man by the name of Joseph, who was in Egypt, who rose to prominence? And the Bible says that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, was sexually attracted to him. And day after day, she constantly came to him, tempting him when her husband wasn't around to lay with him, with her. Now, if she is the wife of the most powerful man in the nation, we can assume that she was drop-dead gorgeous. But look at what what Joseph says to her. Verse 7 in Genesis 39, And after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master has no concern about anything in his house and has put me in charge of everything that he has in, in my charge, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you or yourself because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? When we sin sexually, we sin against God. It matters. But look at what he says, verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. So he wouldn't snuggle with her, not just sleep with her. He wouldn't snuggle with her because he knows snuggling will lead to sleep. And you've got to draw some hard lines. For me, those hard lines is there are very few women and people that I would talk to on my cell phone without my wife being present or Sister Frances or there being an age gap. The hard line. I will not drive in a car with a woman of the opposite sex if it's just me and her. I do everything I can to avoid being alone with a woman of the opposite sex. Put a window in the office in the back when I became pastor because there was no windows. And if I'm meeting with someone of the opposite sex, I want someone to be able to look in. And this isn't boasting on how strong I am. This is boasting on how weak I am. 
No husband. You've got to protect yourself. A co-worker should be calling you. What's she want with you? After work and it has nothing to do with work? Why? It's vice versa. Flee from it. Radically flee from it. But also fleeing from sexual immorality, one of the ways that we defeat sexual sin is by living in community. Having other Christians involved in your life and being able and giving them the freedom to ask tough questions. That's why I'm so excited about community groups. That's why I'm so pumped up about them. Because when you have to go or when you are going to someone's house week in and week out and talking about Jesus and talking about your life, there's going to be a very small room for, for, for you to just live any old kind of way if you're going to be honest. And having someone look you in the eye, having an accountability partner ask you tough questions will help you to grow in godliness. And we should be excited about community groups because they help us, they're going to help us to grow to look like Jesus. Finally, it's ownership. Ownership. Mindset, footsteps, and ownership. Ownership. Look at your Bibles. Back in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So when I'm talking to Josiah about sex, I'm going to tell him uh, sex is more than two bodies rubbing together. It, it, It is more than two people loving each other or having some sort of attraction to each other just coming together because they consent and it's okay. Um, It is meant to be experienced in in a marriage covenant, one man and one woman. That's what we mean by marriage. For a Christian, the mindset that we need to have about sex is that you, as a Christian, when you sin sexually, you drag Jesus into that sin. Then I'm going to talk to him about fleeing. What does it look like? to avoid sexual temptation and why. Not just because something bad can happen that you don't want to happen earlier than it's supposed to happen, but because it corrupts you and it can kill you, damages your soul. Then third, I'm going to tell them ownership. Ownership. Josiah, if you are a Christian, you must recognize that you do not own your body. God owns your body. Look at what the text says. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? I want to tell Josiah, your body is not a playground. It's holy ground. Paul tells the church at Corinth, you all are running to prostitutes, and you're treating your bodies as if they don't matter. Don't you know that the, not the Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives within you? 
If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. And every time you, we, run into sexual immorality and commit sexual sin, the Holy Spirit is grieved within us. Meaning that He is longing to be near to us and longing to show us revelation in God's Word and longing to speak to us. But because we are living in sexual sin, He is quiet allowing us to be led by our own lusts, not stirred up. It says the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Second, for you were bought with a price. It says not only do you not own yourself, but you were bought with a price. This is a picture and would have given the Corinthians a, a, a picture of a slave in the market. And a slave who has someone come alongside them to purchase them and to own them. Paul gives this visual to them, but it's an even more powerful visual than than just that. It's a a powerful vision that, that frees us. Because not only were we slaves, imagine that marketplace. Imagine that person on that block, imagine it's you, but imagine that you're really frail and weak and have no strength. And not only are you frail and weak and have no strength, but imagine that you're wanted, that you are a criminal, and that whoever buys you, not only are they going to be getting someone who is physically weak, but they're going to be getting someone who will eventually be thrown into jail. So why would someone purchase you? That's us. Before we knew Jesus, we were weak, we were frail, we were in our sin, we were slaves to ourselves, we were wanted. But God came and he said, I want you. And he purchased you, he bought you, but it wasn't with mere money, it was with his son's blood. And he said, you you can't bring me anything, you can't impress me. In fact, you're a criminal, you're a sinner but I love you and I've set my affection on you and I am going to give up what is most important for you. Paul says God owns you. He owns you. He allowed Jesus to die the death that you should have on Calvary. When we have sex outside of marriage, run to pornography as a refuge, stay up late to watch something on HBO that we know is going to have nudity. We fail to acknowledge that we were bought with a price. And more than that, we fail to acknowledge the great grace that God has saved us with. great love that he has for us. Romans chapter 6. Close with this. Romans chapter 6, 20 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting 
at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. The end of living life for your own sexual advantage is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leaves to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Submitting yourself to the grace of God, looking at yourself and saying, God, I am a sinner, I am sexually messed up, I have the wrong mindset. But God, you can free me from this sin. It leads to abundant life. It leads to joy. It leads to freedom. We get to live how God intended for us to live. Our consciences become clear and we get to pursue each other with love. We get to look at a woman and not see size numbers and figures. But a woman who either knows Jesus or who doesn't know Jesus. A woman who is either a sister in Christ or who is not a sister of Christ. A woman who is either going to spend eternity in Jesus' presence or eternity in hell. And then we are able to love them to life as a sister and encourage them rather than scheme on them. And think, if I catch her slipping. We were slaves of unrighteousness before Jesus. But the resurrecting power of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit makes us slaves of righteousness. It doesn't happen overnight. We may still fall and stumble, but by God's grace, as we look to Jesus, as we treasure him, we become more victorious in that area. And we may have setbacks. But we run to community, we confess our sins one to another, and we receive healing. And we do this not for the sake of being a good person. We do this because we know that we are infinitely loved and treasured by God. And it is far better to be intimate with him than intimate with some knucklehead who says he loves you, but who doesn't love you enough to put a ring on. And whose statistics show the more you give yourself to and live with without covenant is more unlikely not to put a ring on. So you say, I'm sexually broken, Pastor. What what must I do for healing? Maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you are. just want to show you God's design. God designed sex to be experienced in the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. If we mess up, we sin. And as a result of our sin, we experience brokenness. And as a result of our brokenness, we seek remedies. We try to find things that's going to fulfill our God-sized hole in our heart. Some of us is sex. Some of us is being a workaholic. Some of us is the attention of a person from the opposite sex. And those remedies, they don't produce healing. Instead, they produce more brokenness. 
And then we end up hopeless or having no standards at all. The Bible says that if we repent and look to Jesus by faith, that we can receive healing. And God can give us the power to live by his design. And if that's you here today and and you're a non-believer, there's no way that you're going to have sexual victory without Jesus. And if you're a believer, there's no way that you're going to live a sexual and moral life without receiving brokenness. Just like the law of gravity, if I drop something, it's going down, let something go, it's going down. When we do things outside of God's way, we are going to experience brokenness, and we are going down. So look to Jesus by faith. Mindset, footsteps, ownership. I don't care what sexual sin you're in. I don't care how deep you're in. If you look to Jesus, he will forgive you and treat you as if you have never sinned before. Jesus lived throughout Judea and ministered to sexually broken people. He told one woman who was caught in adultery, he says, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And that's what Jesus says to you today. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care how long your list is. If you look to Jesus by faith, He washes it away, and you start with a clean slate. Stand to our feet. I'm going to ask Lady Amber to come, and she's going to sing a song. And while she comes today, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to have a relationship with Jesus. If you're here today and you just want prayer about anything, you want to touch and agree with someone, we want to open up the doors of the church.